0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following
1: Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, That he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. He responded, Not everyone can accept the saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, there are eunuchs who are made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Well, peace be with you. Well, to those of you who are present uh, in the sanctuary, man, it's good to see you all. As we were just worshiping, I just was thinking about uh, how amazing of an opportunity we get Week in a week out to come and to be uh, with each other, especially uh, given the circumstances this year. For those who are at home, uh, we wanted to say welcome. We miss you. We're praying for you, and I pray that a song will be sung or a word said that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Well, today we're going to talk about what Jesus uh, said about marriage and divorce. What Jesus taught about marriage and divorce, and this is going to uh, be an important sermon. Uh, for some people, uh, the subject of, of marriage is all about three rings, right? The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering, all right? And I, I hope to break us out of that, all right? As marriage is not about those three rings. Marriage is, is, is beautiful. Uh, but for others, this is going to be a, a heavy subject because um, of a number of different reasons. For some of you, you're in a difficult marriage right now. All marriages have difficulties, but you would say that you're in a difficult marriage or going through a period of difficulties. For others of you, you have been through a divorce uh, for a, a number of different reasons, and perhaps you you uh, carry some some guilt, some shame, some, some other emotions that come with it because of uh, how everything went down. For others of you, you have been impacted uh, by a divorce firsthand. You grew up in a household in which maybe parents got divorced, and you uh, remember uh, all the ways that you felt as a result. And so, uh, also, I think that there's a a thing with just church culture in general um, that there tends to be two kind of swings of the uh, pendulum on the subject. On one hand, uh, churches, Rightfully so, they look at the scripture and they say, yes, what Jesus teaches along with the sum of scripture uh, is on this subject is truth and we must adhere to it. And that is true. We must adhere to truth. Uh, But sometimes we take that truth to the extreme. And when it comes to application, we don't and churches uh, don't uh, apply it well uh, with truth, right? Uh, With love, I'm sorry. So we have truth and we also have love and on a subject that's sometimes this complicated and this important, such as marriage and divorce, we need both. We need to see what does God's word say about the institution of marriage. And we also need to make sure that we apply it in the spirit of the gospel, which is grace as well. And so, in order to do that, we're going to look to Jesus because I believe that he models what that looks like perfectly in his passage. And so, I want you guys just to pause with me and pray and we'll dive into it. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I praise you uh, because there is no one like you. I pray, Father God, that you would just uh, speak to our hearts and help us to see you uh, clearly. I pray that you will minister to us at this time like only you can. And we ask these things, Lord, not by might nor by power, but according to your spirit, O God, Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. All right. So back in the Gospel of Matthew, important always to remember context. Jesus has just got through from talking about uh, what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? And specifically in Matthew chapter 18, what does it look like uh, to have uh, relationships within the, the, the kingdom of God? For kingdom citizenships, our relationships are important and they play themselves out in very specific ways. They play themselves out because we do deep community together. In ways that allow us to uh, love each other as well as to confront each other in love. So Jesus talks about uh, if one has gone astray, how he a good shepherd leaves the ninety-nine and he goes and gets the one. In the same way, the church when we see one of our brothers or sisters hurting and being led astray, uh, we care about that person who's led astray. We we do that by uh, going to that brother or sister one-on-one. If they don't listen, we take another with us. If they don't listen, we uh, take it before the church. And he also gave us this context of forgiveness that those who are kingdom citizens, because they have been forgiven much, they are those who forgive much. And so now as he's talked about kingdom relationships and from a a broad standpoint, he's now going to narrow in and in the sermon, he's actually going to address um, a a very important relationship. And that is the the relationship of marriage, the relationship of marriage, which is a a very important subject. Now, what I'm going to say today, uh, I don't have time to be exhaustive. There's going to be some nuances, some things that I wish I could say. Uh, but I don't think you want to be here for two hours hearing me talk about it. Um, And even two hours probably isn't enough time to hit everything. But what we've done as pastors uh, here at Sojourn is we've provided a resource for you that will be emailed to all uh, members and those who are on our email list this afternoon, which is just basically what we call a a white paper, a, a paper that's going to address where we stand and how we apply what the Bible teaches about marriage and divorce. We also, along with Sojourn Midtown, this paper that is constantly being uh, tweaked and improved, uh, we also included Sojourn New Albany's. We think it's a great compliment. They did a great job writing a similar paper, as well as some other resources just on marriage um, too. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to hit on singleness a little bit because the passage touches on it. And I want you to know that we're going to do a full series next year on um, all things relationships, including singleness. And we're even going to go through a book together for those of you who want to. But we've got some resources. Those resources should be dropped right now in the live stream. um, And you can click on it and you can read it later. But today I want to look at this in three simple movements, this passage in three simple movements. The first movement is this. God's beautiful design for marriage. Second, the greatest threat against marriage. And third, an important truth that marriage isn't for everyone. And that's okay. If I could change it, I would actually say, and that's actually great uh, because uh, God has called and ordained uh, some people to not get married. And the kingdom is impacted um, for the good as a result. And they flourish as well. So first, looking at the context, we see in the first three verses that Jesus is departing from Galilee, and he's followed by uh, large crowds, and uh, it's very interesting what comes just before this conversation on marriage. Verse 2, it says, large crowds follow him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds. And two things I want you to point out. One is that the context that comes just before this conversation on marriage is Jesus' ministry, and Jesus' ministry is a ministry of healing. It is a ministry of liberation. It is a ministry of freedom. And so whatever topic we talk about in the Bible, we want to remember to address it with the gospel, which brings healing. Uh, Second... It's really important that we understand what the Pharisees are asking here. They are seeking to expose Jesus and hoping that by asking this question, it will make him less popular as his popularity is off the charts right now. And the question that Jesus is answering specifically in his passage is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Any grounds? That's the question. And it's based off of Deuteronomy 21 and 4, as uh, this was a a common verse that they would quote as it relates to marriage and divorce. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 21 in the Old Testament. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her and send her away from his house. And we know that Israel is, uh, uh, and, and back then, a, a very ultra uh, patriarchal society. And uh, during that time, as Moses is writing, he is addressing uh, the culture of Israel. And he says that a, a certificate of divorce can be given if you find something indecent in her. And the question becomes, what does that mean? What does indecent mean? Well, the only place that we see in the Old Testament where this Phrase is used; it refers to um, excrement, which should tell us that indecent should not be interpreted as something extreme. Uh, uh, it should be interpreted as something extreme and not frivolous. And see, there was two schools of thought and two main camps um, when it came to the issue of marriage, divorce back in first century Judea. The first school of thought is more of a conservative view, which was held by Rabbi Shammah. And he interpreted and his school of thought interpreted indecent essentially to mean immodest behavior or sexual immorality. So divorce and a certificate of divorce uh, Moses was teaching is that a man can only divorce his wife essentially if adultery was committed. The other school of thought was taught by a really well-known progressive rabbi by the name of Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel took indecent to mean almost anything. And most of the Pharisees uh, during that day, and even some of the Sadducees, they held to this perspective. They interpreted that a man has the right to divorce his wife for just about anything, just about anything. If she had poor cooking skills, morning breath, talk too much, this is an exaggeration, he can give her a certificate of divorce. In fact, this is something that was written from an earlier source back then. He basically, says, if she, speaking of the wife, consistently burns the bread, you may divorce her. If you fall out of love with her, you may divorce her. If you fall in love with someone else, you may divorce her. If the husband finds a better looking woman or the wife burns the supper the night before, divorce is justified. And so what Moses was addressing uh, in uh, uh, Israel, as well as what Jesus is addressing with the way he responds, is a culture of abuse and exaggeration and misinterpretation of Scripture. And so we see how Jesus responds. And here's the first way that he's going. First thing I want you to see, as Jesus refines, responds. By affirming and teaching God's beautiful design for marriage. Verse four, having you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And here's the main point of the sermon. Is kingdom citizens honor marriage knowing that it illustrates the depth of Christ's love for his church. Kingdom citizens honor marriage knowing that it illustrates the depth of Christ's love for his church. And Jesus is going to do that by showing us God's beautiful design of marriage and showing the the Pharisees and the disciples who are listening in on this conversation that essentially they are asking the wrong question. The question is not and should not be, can man divorce his wife for any indecent act? But rather, they should have asked Rabbi, what do we need to do to have a healthy God honoring view of marriage? What do we need to be doing to cultivate a culture in which marriages thrive? And in order to help cultivate a culture in which marriages divide, uh, Jesus points us to verses four through six, and we see four really quick observations about marriage. The first is this, is that marriage was created by God. Have you read that he who created them in the beginning? And he goes on to talk about the institution of marriage. Marriage is created by God. Second, is that marriage is defined by God. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And marriage also points us to this God who is Trinitarian, who is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And each person is distinct in in role while sharing the same nature and essence. In the same way, marriage is between a man and a woman. They are to become one. They are no longer two people in God's eyes, but they are one flesh and they complement each other. They're built and made differently and they complement each other physically as well. Third, that marriage is extremely intimate. It is extremely intimate. One author calls uh, those who are married to be intimate allies. I like that, intimate friends. And Jesus shows this by pointing us back to Genesis chapter two, verse 24. And him quoting Genesis 2, 24 is one of four times in the New Testament that we see biblical authors go back to the very beginning to, uh, to teach about marriage. And so this is a very, very important passage. It's all scriptures, God breathing is important, but the emphasis on it lets us know that this is a foundational teaching That helps marriages flourish. This is God's blueprint for marriage. And it's a blueprint of intimacy. Let's look at this. And he said, for this reason, this is what God did in uh, the garden with Adam and Eve, what Moses wrote and taught Israel. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become somebody say one flesh. This one flesh teaching of the Bible is so critical and so important. And honestly, because people have missed what I call the first principle, we see many marriages struggle and way too many Christian marriages end in divorce. And I'm telling you today, if you are are single and desire to be married, if you are married, no matter if you're struggling or you think you have a good marriage, this one flesh principle. Is a principle that you have to take to heart. God has made the two one, right? And I've told y'all this, Amber and I. My name is Jamal. Her name is Amber. In order to uh, remind ourselves of our oneness, now we call ourselves Jamber. Okay, I get the J, and the rest of my name is uh, the rest. Of our name is Amber. You do with that what you want. All right. But it's the marriage is the total sharing, listen to this, of the total person, total persons with each other for life. This one is, gets to a covenant where two lives are intertwined in such a way that everything about them becomes joined. Their future happiness and success becomes one. Their bank accounts become one. Their calendars become one. Spiritual intimacy, Um, uh, while they have individual relationships with Jesus, they should be able to come together as one. And ultimately, this this, uh, leads to uh, uh, sexual intimacy in marriage. Yes, sex is the marriage act by which two people share the most deepest and intimate uh, physical connection that they can. Let me be clear. One, this is about cultivating deep friendship and holistic intimacy, and in order to do that, we have to look at this principle that Jesus is going to teach by honoring the principle of leaving and cleaving. A man and a woman is called to leave their their, their mother and I say their mother and their father and cleave to each other which practically means that they covet together to establish an adult relationship with their parents. It means that not even their parents take priority within their marriage. It means that their mates, ideas, opinions, and practices become more essential than their parents. It means that they're no longer uh, slavishly dependent on their parents for affection, approval, assistance, and counsel. And I think we also can take this to mean, one, it's in marriage, that not only parents uh, is this important for one to leave and to cleave. We honor our parents, but we no longer establish an adult relationship with them. I also think that that means in terms of friendships and other relationships. That no other relationship, including the relationship of a parent, of a a husband or wife with their child, becomes more essential in cultivating than that of the husband to the wife. Fourth, we see that marriage is a covenant, it's not a consumer relationship. Jesus points them back to. the the beginning and this pronouncement that therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. And this points to this idea of marriage from the beginning as being meant to be a permanent relationship, a covenant and not a contract. Unfortunately, too many people see marriage as a consumer contract rather than a covenant. And a consumer relationship is, is great. It's good. I love consumer relationships. I've got a number of consumer relationships. The one that I probably use most is my relationship with Kroger. Great consumer relationship. (laughs) Kroger has a couple of items that I go to regularly because I just just love them. One is turkey sausages. That's what I eat just about every morning for breakfast. Another is eggs. I go through some eggs, y'all, and I can be tight on them, too. I'm like, who's eating my eggs? Okay, Another is gummy bears. OK. Hey. All right. I had to I used to eat whole bags in one sitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's a consumer relationship. I go to Kroger. I know what I want. I'm going to those aisles. And if Kroger ever stops selling my turkey sausages or my eggs and especially my gummy bears, I'm, I'm probably going to start going to another grocery store. Consumer relationships are great, but they don't work well with family, do they? Could you imagine if I had a consumer relationship with, uh, let's say, my son, Josiah? Let's say Josiah, who's nine years old, which I love to earth and back. And I mean, let's say I had a consumer relationship with him. And one day I came to Josiah and I just said, hey, Josiah, you know what? Similar to Kroger, man, there are some things that I really felt like I needed from you. And I'm just not getting that, you know? Uh, And as a result, I think I'm moving on. You know, you used to make me laugh a lot, and lately you've been off, your jokes have been off, and I mean, you've changed. I mean, you're not into the things that you used to be into, and so, uh, son, I've got to move on, and um, you know, I, I, just, I just need to move on. In fact, there's, a, there's another kid down the street, and we just vibe together so well. I mean, we hung out for one hour, and I just think he's phenomenal, and uh, Yeah, as a result, I've kind of fallen out of love with you and I'm in love with this other kid. You guys would say that's mean, that's abusive, that's neglectful, and you're right. Consumer relationships work well with grocery stores, but it does not work well with family. And so here's the question. Why do we allow consumer relationship to dominate the way we view marriage? Well, Pastor, you all understand, she really has changed. I mean, her favorite color used to be pink and now it's purple. Or when we were dating, he was in shape. And now, you know. (laughs) Or I I really just kind of grew. I'm not the same person. I used to be the things I used to like. I don't like anymore. And the type of person I would date when I was in 20s is now different than the type of person I would date when I'm in my 40s. And so um, I'm leaving this marriage. Jesus is teaching that Marriage is not a consumer relationship. It is a permanent relationship. It is a covenant, not a contract. It's not based on if, then. So Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In fact, one way that we understand this as covenant and one reason that we can embrace this is because marriage was created by God, instituted and ordained by God. And ultimately, it illustrates a, a very deep lesson. And that lesson is found in Genesis in Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 through 32. In it, a beautiful chapter on marriage. Go home and read it starting in verse 22. But verse 31, Paul says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. You guys remember that language. And the two will become flesh, one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. From the very beginning, marriage was to be an illustration of Christ's love for the church. And Ephesians chapter 2 shows us how much Christ loves the church, the depths of Christ's love for the church, that he is willing to die for the church. He is willing to sacrifice his life for the church. He is willing to wash the church with the water of the word, to serve the church all the way unto death. He invests in the church. And yes, he leaves the church, but he leaves the church by loving the church. in the same way a husband is to 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 pursue his wife. He pursues his wife, yes, by leading her, but the Bible never says lead your wife. It says loves your wife. He leads by loving, loving to the point of being willing to give his life for his wife. And a wife likewise is to submit to her husband and to respect her husband as the church submits to and respects Christ. And submit is a loaded word in our culture today, but both the husband and the wife are showing mutual submission. Christ showed that by submitting himself to the will of the Father, by dying on the cross, in the same way the church submits to Christ by picking up our cross daily and following him. This is beautiful. Many marriages are failing because they're consumer based. What have you done for me lately? And many Christian marriages look like worldly marriages in that they are less about serving the other person submitting one's will for the greater good and more about me, 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 I, I, I. In many ways, we have become like the Pharisees, asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, Lord, what must I do so that my marriage would flourish? We're starting to look around and some of you in here and say, what can I do to get out of this marriage? What is allowed? (laughs) The disciples question here. The Pharisees question, verse seven. They said, wait a minute, we got you. Why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? Which brings us to our second movement. The greatest danger to the institution of marriage is the hardness of heart, the hardness of heart. So they're trying to trap Jesus with the scripture and say, hey, here's what the scripture teaches You're kind of teaching that to get a divorce is is sinful since marriage was meant to be permanent from the beginning. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus is always so smooth. He is the ultimate philosopher. Verse 8. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart, but it was not like that from the beginning. Notice the key word here is permitted. Moses, in essence. Did not command, as both schools of thought back then was teaching if your wife commits adul- adultery, you must divorce her, honor and shame. Jesus saying, no, divorce and, res- and getting a certificate of divorce was never a command, it was a concession. And the reason it was a concession was because of Israel's heart was so hard. Abuse was running rampant, women were being taken advantage of. And so Moses, because of your sinfulness and hardness of heart, instituted the certificate of divorce, and God honored it. And his hardness of heart is a result of Israel and her leaders not loving God sincerely. And as a result, they failed to love their intimate ally, their truest and first neighbor, their wives. True Christian living and ethics should be built, should build its standard on God's will. Listen to this and not concessions that were made as a result of human sinfulness. Meaning that as we enter into our marriages, we should want to please God. We should go in seeing it as permanent and saying, I am going to do everything I can so that my marriage can thrive rather than I'm going to go into my marriage. And if it doesn't work out, as soon as my spouse falls in this way, I have a way out. Jesus here teaches us a powerful, powerful truth about why marriages fail. And marriages fail because of the hardness of heart. Heart is the sum of a person, the inward world of a person the emotional, spiritual, and intellectual uh, being of a person. And when that gets hard, when that is no longer tender, marriages fail. Listen, good marriages aren't, don't happen because of magic. Good marriages happen because of intentionality, happens because of proactiveness. It happens because of persistence. I've heard too many people say that they're miserable in marriage, but they're miserable because they are reactive rather than proactive. Just like good lawns don't uh, happen by themselves. Grass typically isn't green by themselves, grass typically isn't low and manicured by itself. It takes cultivation, it takes watering. It takes care. It takes intentionality. It takes time. And the same way marriage takes all of those things. Hebrews chapter three, verse 12 through 14, the author of Hebrews writes a very powerful short paragraph. Wake up for this. Verse 12, through 14. Listen, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sins, deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end of the reality that we what reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. This is a very powerful passage as the author is warning in chapter three of Hebrews, the church to not go in the direction in the way of Israel. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when their hearts became hard towards God, and as a result, they stopped loving their neighbor and stopped doing uh, what God had commanded. And he tells us some some keys to, to making sure our heart doesn't grow cold. One key is making sure that we are in deep relationships that encourage us. That's what he says in the text. Daily encouragement. We need daily encouragement. And when we are not in relationships in which we can be daily encouraged, spurred on in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our hearts become hard. Sin becomes enticing and deceitful. We talk ourselves into false realities. And that's why being a part of a healthy church is important. That's why coming uh, to church is often... The writer of Hebrews is going to say later, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. That's why once we're past, Lord willing, COVID-19 and, and everything is starting to get back to normal, we're going to shut down the live stream for a little while so that people can be encouraged to come in on, in person rather than saying, I'm now a member of Sojourn Bedside Baptist Church. But listen, Christian couple, what better built-in encouragement do you have in that of a spouse? The most important intimacy in marriage is not sexual intimacy. The most important intimacy, though, though that is important, and we read this, Paul writes to the Church of Corinth about cultivating sexual intimacy in marriage so that uh, the spouse a spouse is not tempted. And that takes a lot of wisdom, conversation, and maybe even uh, care from outside couples to know what, what's, what's healthy. But the most important aspect of your marriage is spiritual intimacy. It's remembering that you both are children of God. Before you're a dad, before you're a mom, before you're uh, someone else's child, before you're a church member, you are Abba's child and you must work on a vertical relationship and together you need to be praying together, fasting together, making time to talk about the word together. You know, many of us have swimmed before, got in the ocean water. And you know that if you get in the ocean and there's a, a, a tie coming, it's very easy when you're floating to just slowly kind of drift away from the shore. In the same way, that's the human heart. When we are not actively abiding in Christ and pursuing a relationship with Jesus, we start to drift and just like that person who is in the ocean, who starts off closer uh, to the beach, closer to the shore, you start slowly drifting off, looking, looking around, looking around, drifting off. And you look back and you say, man, where are my people? Where are the people I came with? Where's my towel? And you look up and it's way over there. You wonder, how did I get there? You got there little by little, slowly. And some of you right now, you are in a marriage and you are miserable. And yes, your spouse is a sinner and they are sinning against you. But here's the thing. You're a sinner too. And the reason that you are perhaps drifting is because you have drifted away from Jesus Christ. And you have drifted away from a biblical vision of marriage Marriage is hard work, but as Christians, we do hard things. Like a nail, the harder we're hit, the deeper in Christ we go. So Jesus says marriage was meant to be permanent. Pastor Jamal, what about abandonment? Isn't there other instances in Scripture where God says it's okay to get divorced? Yes. First Corinthians chapter seven, the apostle Paul, thereby Jesus, uh, talks about desertion. Go home and read it. We have a whole section in the paper that I was telling you about. Won't be able to nuance here. As if a spouse abandons or deserts uh, their, their marriage, um, that constitutes for divorce. Jesus is not being comprehensive in this section. He's getting to a heart issue. Well, what about abuse? What about if one spouse is... Uh, physically or or mentally or emotionally abusing the other spouse? And I would say yes too. Um, Jesus did not uh, die. Listen to me. Jesus did not die for marriage. Jesus died for people. We must be careful to not put the institution of marriage in front of people. If you are in an abusive relationship, I want to encourage you to leave. Make sure you get safety as quick as you can. And I know that sometimes leaving is hard because of the emotional entrapment. And I want to encourage you, even if right now you say, well, I can't reach out to a community group leader or to your pastors. Let us serve you, protect you and wade through the situation and help you to see more clearly, hopefully than you're currently seeing. God does not want you living in a situation in which you are physically being beat or abused or mentally being twisted. And we believe that we can help you get some distance, take some time, confront that person, and and pray and discern what God is calling for you. I agree with many, many biblical scholars who say that the logic of Paul and Jesus' statements here May allow for divorce when a spouse has, has killed the covenant by getting to a place where they are unable to live with. And if you or your kids find yourself in a physically or severely mental or emotional danger because of it, come talk to us. And this doesn't mean, again, Jesus is not saying that if your spouse is annoying, you can divorce them or you should seek divorce. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. I annoy my wife this week. I annoy my wife every week. Okay. I annoy my wife every day. Okay. <laughs> I'm annoying. We're all annoying. We all have quirks, right? That's a part of marriage, right? And when you're single and you're kind of doing your thing, you're going along with your own ways, you're loving Jesus... You meet this person, they're doing their own thing, they're loving Jesus, y'all vibing together. It seems really good when you're not in the same house and y'all just waving together and hanging out and then you get married and this is what happens. And that's what happens when sinners say, I do. And so you have to learn to wave together. My friend called me one day, really distressed as he was rushed to the hospital. And while he was at the hospital, he learned that they were have to amputate his leg. It was going on his 22nd surgery, and uh, he heard it while in the military. And he recently uh, uh, heard it. He called me, Pastor, please come, hurry up, get to the hospital. They're going to take my leg. I, I took went to the hospital, and I, I talked to him, and we had a big decision to make. Do you risk and see if his leg will heal, or do you do what the doctor is saying right now and amputate it because it was so toxic and so infested?" And I guess my point is saying is that ending a marriage is difficult, and like amputation, it shouldn't be done lightly or quickly. It's painful because two people were one flesh. The common book of prayer, says, marriage must not be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. When you stand at the altar and you say, I do, you are making a covenant with God before people. It's not like signing up for a car or purchasing a first house. It points to a greater reality. It points to the world, Christian marriage, the depth of God's love for his church. And I want to be a church that has a healthy culture when it comes to marriage and divorce. And if you've been divorced here or if because you have a biblical reason for divorce and you've been working through it, I don't want you to feel shame and I want you I pray through your pastors and through the preaching of the word to, to experience Jesus' heart. When Jesus met persons who were divorced, he didn't shame them or condemn them. He loved them in a way that was healing. He affirmed their dignity. Remember the woman who was at the well who had, what, five husbands, he said? And the husband you're with is not, uh, the, one, the man you're with is not your husband. He loved her. He affirmed her dignity. He spent time with her and he, he empowered her to live on mission. And in the same way, you may be divorced, but you are not dead and there is no condemnation. And if your divorce was illegitimate, God is calling for you to repent, to find healing by by confessing your sin and how you contributed to it and to turn and to live your life in regards to what scripture teaches. Now, that may mean living it in a way that requires a big sacrifice. And that's where we'll close at. Look at this. The third point is that marriage isn't for everyone. And that's, that's good news. That's okay. It's by design. Verse 10, his disciples said to him, now these are the apostles, the ones whom Jesus is going to use to build his church. If the relationship of a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry <laughs> I got a feeling that was Peter. He responded, not everyone could accept this thing, but only those to whom it was given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from the mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men. And there were eunuchs who made themselves that way because of the kingdom of God. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Marriage is so uh, important. It communicates the depth of Jesus' love to the point Jesus is saying, I'm not lowering God's standard. And the reason why there's so much abuse and sin amongst the community and the people of God is because you all have lowered your standard. The apostles are like, yo, if this is true, we shouldn't get married. And Jesus doesn't let them off the hook and be like, okay, okay. Y'all just go back to what you were doing. It's okay. No, he actually says, okay. And this is then a clear call for you to live as a eunuch. Now, what is a eunuch? A eunuch is a person who served in a high court, normally a male who served a woman who was royalty in the court. And a eunuch became a eunuch, we see one or two ways. One, he became a eunuch because he was born without uh, the ability to have sexual reproduction or reproducing organs. right? Two is he was made that way. He uh, came into the high court and he chose to make that sacrifice to serve a woman of, of royalty. But third, Jesus uses a eunuch here metaphorically. And I believe he's speaking to those who are called to be single. He's saying some of you have been called to because you cannot adhere to this type of commitment in a relationship and in marriage. You um, then are, are called to embrace this life of living for the kingdom of God without marriage. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you real quick. Those who are single and those who are married, marriage communicates the depth of Christ's love for his church. And in the same way, singleness communicates the breadth of Christ's love for his church. And the body of Christ needs to see regularly the depth of Christ's love. These two people going deep as one. In two relationship, modeling Christ's love for his church, but the body of Christ desperately needs to see the breadth of Christ's love for his church. And that singles are living in covenant with Jesus and the people of God, his church, in relationship with one another as true family. And the church is called to model that. Singleness is not a curse. When you see what Jesus, what Jesus and Paul teaches, it's actually a benefit to the kingdom of God. And when the church has a healthy view of singleness and family, which we're going to deal with next year, we're going to do an eight-part series, Lord willing, on that. Because we have a warped view, the church flourishes, and the world looks in on our relationships and say, "What is this?" this idea of family, there's so much depth and beauty and health between those who are married and those who are single, and people are flourishing. People are flourishing. Both communicate, of course, the depth and the breadth, but they accent different views of Christ, of of, of the covenant of marriage. Marriage is not an essential relationship for life. Jesus was not married, and he was the most human. He flourished more than anyone. He did not sin. And you say, Pastor Jamal, you just use Jesus as an example. He was also fully God. All right, let me use another one. The Apostle Paul <laughs> was a man, and he was not fully God and he was single. And you read him talking about singleness in first, the book of First Corinthians as this picture of flourishing and, and freedom as they are committed to God's kingdom and, and, and heroes in the body of Christ for their sacrifice. You are reminded that what taints Both views of singleness and and marriage is is not uh, the the status itself, but it's the way in which we culturally pursue it. In January, I'm going to go through a book called Seven Myths of Singleness with our entire church via Zoom. I want to encourage you to buy it. I'll remind you back in November, we're going to have you read the book as a whole. And then in January, we're going to go via Zoom uh, one week at a time through each chapter to view what God has to say about singleness and why it is important and beneficial in a church just as marriage is and how we cultivate a culture in which everyone is thriving and healthy. And the church said, get y'all all church and stuff. Four quick takeaways. Man, this is a, this is a long sermon. Isn't it? Amen. Four quick takeaways. One, marriage is, not, is a covenant, not a contract. Take that away. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. It's not a consumer relationship. Hebrews 13:4 Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. 2 Marriage flourishes best with two tender hearts. And spouse, Even if your heart is tender and your spouse's is not as hard and they don't want to get care, they don't want to live in community. Uh, the Bible calls you to first uh, Peter chapter three. And we see throughout the scripture to work on your relationship with Jesus, do what you can for your spouse, model a sacrifice and pray And believe and have hope that God can redeem your spouse's heart and soften it so you can have a thriving marriage. I've seen it over and over and over. In fact, I became a Christian because one of the reasons God made me alive, but the way I came alive is I saw my parents' marriage. They had a very toxic marriage for the first nine years of my life. My parents legitimately started following Jesus. And he changed their lives and their marriage in such a radical way that I kept asking the question, who has done this and who is this Jesus that has changed you? And it led me to repent and to follow him because I saw how he could take two dead hearts and make them alive and bring them together as one. Man, I want to challenge you today to be proactive in marriage and lead by loving your wife. Just like you are proactive maybe in keeping up your car. If you don't keep your car well, throw that illustration out, keeping up your yard. If you don't keep up your yard well, throw that illustration out, keeping up your beard. If you don't keep your beard up well, throw that illustration out. And if all three of those are negatives for you, come see me. I know why your marriage is struggling, just joking. (laughs) Reject passivity. Accept responsibility, date your wife, know your wife, love your wife, stop being passive. Charles Spurgeon said, woman was not taken from the head of man so that she would rule over him. Neither was the woman taken from the feet of man so that he, she would be crushed by him. But she was taken from the side of man that she may walk side by side with him and be protected and loved. Finally, just a reminder that both singleness and marriage are beautiful. And as a church, we must treat them as such. Every week, we take a meal together called communion. And this meal reminds us of this truth. That when Jesus died upon the cross and when we look to him by faith, we entered into a covenant relationship with him. And on the cross, he did not say you have to sign the prenup. On the cross, he did not say, If you do this, I will forsake you. But rather, on the cross, he said, It is finished. Nothing can separate you from my love. I don't care where you are today, if you're feeling conviction, remember there's no condemnation in Christ. Look to Jesus Christ, the perfect bridegroom who loves his church extremely thoroughly and well and live out of that. Inside your, uh, in front of your chameleon, uh, your chairs, you have chameleon. You can take it back. The, the wafer represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Jesus, is the blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. Each week we break bread, we drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're married here today, listen, I'm praying for you. Man, don't go out sideways. Don't go to Broadway. It leads to divorce. It leads to destruction. Do everything you can to fight for your marriage. Everything you can. And let us help you. We've got resources for you to help you to do so. We also have some prayer prompters that will be thrown on the screen, some ways that you can be praying for marriages in our church and in our city. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.